Um, so as far as the foundation for the study and the pursuit of the knowledge of who Jesus is and just knowing him intimately, <coughs> um, both Paul and David both declared that it was their uh, is their primary goal in life to know God intimately. That, that's a big statement to make. So let's just read through a couple of these verses. So uh, Philippians 3, 8 says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of God, of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So, Paul says that he counts everything as lost compared to knowing Jesus. That's a, that's a bold statement. So I, Holy Spirit, just make that known to our hearts that we would see, that we would see it as above all else, as the, the one thing and the greatest thing. Um, so then, Ephesians 3, 8, Paul says, he goes on to talk about his life. He's making his life uh, his life commission, his life statement. This is kind of his mission statement. He says, To me, whom less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. Um... So he basically says his life goal is to preach the beauty and the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's a, I think that's kind of one of our that's primary. Our life goal. That's like our life goal. Yeah. So uh, we can all make that our life goal. I think we're supposed to. Um, yeah, um, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is First Corinthians two two. So here again, Paul's coming saying that. All he preached to these people was Jesus. They preached Jesus to them, and the fact that he was crucified for them, and that basically set this church on fire, and it established them. Um, just the fact that Paul preached only Christ and him crucified, and that was enough foundation for a church is, uh, it should be, yeah, that's, that's enough foundation for us too. So, let's go on to, down to Psalm 27.4. So here we have David saying, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Um, so yeah, David again, a man after God's own heart, a man who, who loved Yahweh, who loved God, and he and we, we, he set up as a, one of the greatest men of God of the Old Testament, and he says that the one thing that he desires of the Lord is that he would dwell in the house of the Lord, and that he would be able to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Um, so I just, yeah, just the, the fact that these men who are examples to us um, set up the study of Jesus as their primary goal in life, that's, um, yeah, that should inspire us and fuel us to agree. Um, let's go on to the next page. So ultimately, we don't want to. We don't want to have a theology on God. We want to actually know Him personally. We actually want to know Him in a relational way. So, all this is unto not necessarily uh, a full systematic study of everything about Jesus, but a, a heart study of Jesus that's guided by a, a systematic study. So I think, like I said, practically this plays out as as uh, us learning from Jesus and not only about Him. Um, I think that can be as subtle, but I think it's a big difference when we switch from 
reading the Bible kind of back and kind of looking at Jesus, kind of like a bird's eye view to the point where we switch and say, okay, Jesus, teach me about yourself. Teach me about you. So it's really, it's a really subtle thing, but I feel like it's something that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts where we, we begin to learn from Jesus, not only about him. So it's a subtle switch, but it's big. It's, it's no longer studying it disconnected. It's, it's studying it and asking questions, talking to Jesus, asking him to reveal himself. And he, he becomes our source, no longer. It's kind of a shift, too, from where in the past, where it's our intellect trying to figure things out, saying, what is this? What's going on here? Who is Jesus? Trying to piece a puzzle together as opposed to listening to a person, listening to Jesus, and saying, Jesus, you teach me. You're beautiful. Like, teach me about you. Tell me what your heart is for me. So that's the, the kind of the, the main overall practical thing to get, is that we're, we're switching to where we're learning from Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, you teach me. You're the one that I love. You, you teach me, as opposed to <clears throat> reading the Word and kind of trying to pluck out stuff on our own. Um, so that's a little bit of the foundation. It's going to point to so as far as what it actually means to pursue <coughs> to pursue Jesus, to see Him, to um, be captivated by Him. <coughs> and I really feel like when I emphasize to the point that this is like this is the fuel for our life. Like the Holy Spirit says, this is the this is what fuels our drive to for everything, for missions, to everything in our life is fueled from our revelation of the beauty of Jesus. When we see Him, we see His love for us. We see who He is to us, what He's done for us. That's the, this is the fuel, this is the source of everything in our life. It, it comes out of, we see his beauty and it empowers us to do everything because apart from him, he says we can do nothing, but when we see him, we can do all things because he is glorious, he's that glorious to where we see him, we're empowered to do anything. Um, and everything begins to make sense. <coughs> so, the pursuit of the knowledge of God's heart for us, is, this is uh, point A. The pursuit of the knowledge of God's heart for us is founded in the study of uh, His Word. Every view we have of Him has to be founded in the Scriptures. And um, So just as Mary did, we sit at Jesus' feet and let Him teach us. We do this by spending time reading His Word and listening to the Holy Spirit. So to know God is simple. It's, it's simply to sit and receive. So it's... Yeah, we receive from Him. That's kind of the pursuit of the knowledge of God summed up. We receive from Jesus as he teaches us, as he speaks to our hearts, as he reveals things. So that is, that yeah, that is the foundation. Um, so, yeah, the next kind of points are just some practical stuff. Um, as far as what does it practically look like, to receive from Jesus. I mean, it sounds great, and I think that's one thing we... It sounds wonderful because it is, but how do we actually do that? How do we actually learn from Jesus? How do we actually um, receive from Him? So I think the first way is uh, pray reading the Word. So you guys can probably read through that. Uh, basically, um, so the foundation to to knowing Him and to receiving from Him is reading the Word in a way where we're no longer um, coming at it trying to figure stuff out necessarily from a... I'm trying to make this simple. I should just read it. <laughs> Made sense then. Alright. <laughs> Essentially reading the Bible from a relational perspective and not only from an informational perspective. Because we want more than information. We want to know the heart. 
of the one of whom the scriptures speak. We stop and talk with the Holy Spirit when something moves our hearts. We pray, Jesus, let me see your emotions in this situation. We thank him. We ask questions. How if I had misconceptions of you in this area? Um, we just talk with him. There doesn't have to be a thundering response. Over time, our hearts will soften as we look to him to teach us. So that's important to realize that you don't necessarily have to judge how it's going by, am I hearing a thundering response that this is, you know, the audible voice of Jesus. I mean, you, if you continue just to, to speak to him, to thank him, to pray, to share your heart with him as you read the word, it will, it will bear fruit. That's the way the word, um, what is Isaiah 55? I think this is so, this is super important. I mean, this could be a whole teaching in and of itself. That's true. It's, we're taught so often to come to the scriptures of, I'm just going to take in as much information as I can. I'm not even going to ask what I'm reading. I'm not even going to engage my heart in it. It's just a mental process. we got to get out of that to the point where, you, I mean, this is amazingly simple, but I never learned this. No one ever told me this, and all of a sudden it hit my heart, and I made sense of, like, I mean, I actually can talk back to God the words that he's written in the book. For example, you read, God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Rather than just saying, oh, that's great, and it's only here, I go, God, thank you that you so love me. That you're talking about me here, where it actually becomes a heart response to the scripture. So it's not just a, I'm putting in my time, I'm punching my time card, and I'm doing my, my Bible reading, and then I leave my Bible reading, and I go to the other room, and then I do my prayer, and then I leave that room, and I go do my service. You know what I mean? It's where we're, those things have to be married in our life. Because they're not <clears throat> separate. My prayer life, my time in the Word, my worship time, th those things have to come together in, and they have to influence our heart. If, it only, if the scriptures only impact your mind, that's not enough. It's not enough. The demons believe and, and, and tremble. They know the intellectual information, but their heart says, I don't want him as my Lord. Does that make sense? That's what that's what Andy's saying. It's, it's critical. It'll change your life. It's this simple. You open the Bible, you read a verse, you pray the verse back to him. You ask him what the verse means. You read the verse again. You pray the verse again. You talk to him about it. You say, What what does this mean? You don't even if you don't get it, you still do it. Because the word is there's a parable in Mark 4 that says the word is supernatural in that it goes in the heart like a seed into the ground. You wake up the next day and you go, whoa, that bore fruit. I don't know how it did that. He goes, that's exactly it. Sow it into your heart. Not just reading it, singing it, praying it. Talking to the God that's alive. That is, that, that is the, that's how it actually hits our hearts. Preach! <laughs> I think if we, can make, if we can get that, that is what brings transformation. So I want to I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here, so I think what Quint said is super important, because it is the foundation of how does this actually go from, I know Jesus is beautiful, and I see other people saying that he is, how do I actually make that hit my heart, is by we find verses, and we actually make them part of our prayer dialogue with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. We talk to him about them throughout the day, we take verses that move our heart, and we say, Jesus, this is who you are, this is what you've done for me, this is who you say I am, and we make them part of your, your prayer dialogue throughout the day with the Holy Spirit, if you choose pieces of the word, you make them part of your prayer dialogue, you talk to them about them throughout the day, it will change your heart, there's no other option. I mean, if we kind of, sometimes we just kind of flip through the day and, hey, what should I go get to eat today, Jesus, you know, kind of, we should talk to them about whatever's on our heart, which is good, we want to talk to them about stuff like that, but we want to, at the same time, have a, a set forth, 
what he's doing in our life. We take verses and we talk to him and we intentionally make conversation with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. We look to him. We, we don't just say him out loud to him. We can, but make it part of a conversation with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. Talk to him about the verses. Um, if you make these verses part of your your dialogue with the Holy Spirit throughout the day, you talk to him about them, um, it will bear fruit in your life. It'll bear incredible fruit. Like You'll be amazed what it'll do just picking verses and just talking to the Holy Spirit throughout the day about these verses. So that, I want to say that if you, like that is, as far as the practical side, that is it right there. It's, it's spending time in the Word with Him, listening, um, and then making those verses that strike your heart, those ones that He's putting on your heart, the things that He's doing in your heart, pick verses that describe that, verses that He gives you, and then intentionally throughout the day um, make those part of your dialogue with Him. So that is huge. I, would, I mean, I could almost just stop there just because if we do that, that's, the change is guaranteed. So I, yeah, the rest of this stuff is, this is go on to, actually the verse that I had down on the last page. Um, Deuteronomy 11, 18, 19 says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So this is actually... Sorry, I went kind of fast there. But Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 19. This is actually a commandment from Yahweh saying that you, he commands them basically to write it on their arms, um, to put it as bands on their head. Like this is a commandment from God, not necessarily, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a commandment from God. It's basically, he's not saying it'd be a good idea if you guys would kind of think about my word. He's saying like, it'll, it will transform your life. This is a commandment, a direct commandment from Yahweh. It's uh, Deuteronomy 11, 18 to 19. Last page. So, even in line with that, you I mean Yahweh told us to put it on our hands and frontlets. Paul, oh, you know what a frontlet is? You know what a frontlet is? A little, it was actually a little, actually a box. A, a box? Yeah. <laughs> I wear one every day. <laughs> no, but the key. So it sounds kind of ridiculous, but this is actually a commandment because God knew that if we if we just studied His Word, we'd be transformed. We'd be captured by Him, and um, it would be really, really good. So this is, I think, I at least in the past, I confess to seeing stuff like no powers and kind of stuff like this is kind of cheesy and like, oh, I don't need that. I'm whatever, whatever. But it is. I've changed my mind a lot, and now I, I carry note cards and stuff around. So I highly advise stuff like that, just even note cards, simple stuff that's going to encourage you, even like a bracelet. I mean, it sounds like it was a good idea. If God said it was a good idea, then it might be a good idea to try out. Stuff that's going to force you. That's usually a good who statement. To yeah, who wants to? Who disagree with them? I think so. Actually, Orthodox still do that. They follow that the Orthodox still do that. You're talking about the box on their head, so they think that's literally but like, like you're saying, instead of it being a fleshy practice, we're walking it out in the spirit. Exactly. And it's, it seems so, like, oh, that's so, how is that, that seems so disconnected from the beauty of Jesus and encountering him, um, encountering his emotions and being captivated by him. It seems so disconnected that we kind of just, oh, whatever, oh, maybe I'll get to that some other time. But the reality is, it's, it is directly related to being fascinated with Jesus. It's, it's doing these practical things. How did you get there from, from just doing your reading and having your devotions over here to being fascinated with Jesus and respond, dialoguing with the Holy Spirit? Where, how did you do that? Um, 
Uh, I mean, it was something that he, ultimately, it's something that he starts, and he, if you ask him, Jesus help, like, he will, he'll orchestrate circumstances in your life that will drive, in my case, he orchestrated circumstances in my life that drove me um, to him. Ultimately, I saw that for a long time, I'd grown up not really loving myself, not really loving who I was, and so in the midst of that, I, I um, saw a deep need and saw that Jesus his love for me was the answer that I needed to, to find. And it was more than, I mean, it's, it's a process. It's not necessarily a one-time encounter. It's a good thing because it, it draws us into a relationship. So for me, he orchestrated circumstances that brought me to my, showed me my weaknesses in a really strong way and just really showed me that I had, I had needs that I needed to, um, or had things in my, in my way of thinking and my views of him that were completely off, um, ways of seeing him as being mostly angry. Um, so basically he exposed things that, were too painful to just ignore, so I had to deal with them. So that's, sometimes he does that, but it turns into, I mean, beauty for ashes, it turns into beauty, so it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing in the end. Um, so if you pray to kill, and ultimately he's, he's incredible enough to, to captivate us, even if we're nothing going on in our life. He's that beautiful to where he can, he can do anything. So ultimately it starts with Jesus just asking him. Begin to make it part of your daily prayer list. Jesus captivated me with your beauty, and it's, it's not a, a hard prayer for him to answer. He, he loves to, it's easy, it's the Holy Spirit's favorite prayer is to reveal Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I think, and then part of it was just realizing, in this case, that I would have these glimpses of who he was, and then it would, like two, three days later, all of a sudden, looking, there would be no fruit to show. I thought, like, well, I thought I changed, but nothing happened. So just realizing that it's, it's a process, it's a walk, you have to, you, and you get to walk with it, you get to walk through it with him. Um, it brings us into relationship with him, and we're forced to, not forced, we get to, to talk with him throughout the day as we see things come up. So I think, um, yeah, just ask him. He will do it, he'll orchestrate whatever it takes, he'll, he'll move on your heart. It might be painful times, but it'll be beautiful. Can you expound a little bit more on, like, um, Jesus' role in, like, revealing the Father to us and how, like, that interest is interwoven with, like, like, his role in that? Yeah, absolutely. Repeat the question. <coughs> so Jen was asking if we could expound a little more on how Jesus is the direct, our direct revelation of the Father and how when we study him, we see the Father. So this is true. I mean, the, um, we all desire to have a Father and to see the Father and to see his love for us. And the way the most direct way that we have to see the Father, to see the one who loves us unconditionally, is to see it in Jesus, because Jesus is the direct revelation of the Father. Jesus says, Phil, Phil, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's right. So it, if you, to study Jesus is to study the Father. They're one and the same. They're not, that's, the, sometimes the enemy will come and say, oh, uh, well, Jesus loves you, but the Father's kind of angry with you, which is completely ridiculous. The reality is, if you study, when you study Jesus, you are studying the heart of the Father, and you encounter you encounter the Father in studying Jesus. So, it's, I mean, it's that simple that our desire to have, to see the Father, to see His love for us, um, and to, to find safety and peace in that is to study Jesus, because He's just like Jesus. Jesus is just like His Father. So you see the faithfulness of Jesus, you see the, the love of Jesus, you see the steadfastness of Jesus bearing unto the cross, and that's exactly where the Father is. So that is, to study Jesus is to study the Father. That's, that's, yeah, that's a very important point to realize that there isn't a, a disconnect between studying between the Father and Jesus. They have the same heart. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say too with that, 
it's going to be hard for you to come to that place of, okay, Jesus, reveal to me your beauty if you think he's mad at you. If you don't have a revelation of his love for you, unconditional, you're going to be stuck in that place where you're afraid to go and encounter him there. Very true. And sometimes that actually, that wrong perception, all I say is, if he, they didn't hear that all of Okay. You're saying that it's it's hard to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, show me how beautiful you are, show me how much you love me. Jesus and say, Jesus, show me how beautiful you are, show me how much you love me, and show me, captivate me if we think that he's angry with us. If you think that Jesus is mostly angry with you, mostly kind of, you know, he died for us because he had to, that's just how, that's how a God of love works, they have to die for you. And he's constantly correcting you and wishing you yeah, that is the main thoughts that he has about you are what's wrong with you and um, that you just get straightened up because you should know by now because you're mature or whatever. But the reality is that's not true. And we're going to go through that in a little bit um, to allow, because once that wall is broken down to where you can come to him knowing that he delights in you, then it's completely different. Because when you know he delights in you, you know that he delights to reveal himself to you and it becomes just natural to ask Jesus reveal your beauty to me as opposed to I don't want to bother him I don't want to that sounds kind of selfish to ask him to fascinate me that sounds kind of like I'm asking something of him that he probably wants me to do so that's that's a big part of it is having correct perspectives of who Jesus is and how he feels about us um, as long as we're there on the, the page 5 of the practicals as far as yeah, Paul is saying too how do we become captivated by a his beauty. One way is if you're like, well, I guess I kind of, I feel like I'm just kind of floating right now. There's nothing bad, nothing good in my life, and um, it's it seems like it's hard to be hungry for Jesus. Fasting is a biblical way to increase hunger. So that's a. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so, <laughs> and then ask for grace when you fast too, because there's there can be wrong perceptions of fasting where at least like even what like. Uh, too. If you if you view Jesus as being angry with you, then when you fast, then you'll probably just view him as always being frustrated that you can't fast more, and that you can't do enough, and it can never be enough. So, ask for grace for that, and let him guide you in that, but it is wonderful. Uh, let's go to point A, too, that's kind of... Um, the more we hunger... You guys there? Uh, seven. The more we hunger for Jesus, the more we will seek him, and Jesus said that all who seek will find... There are many things in our lives that are not bad in and of themselves, but they can take away from our hunger to know Jesus. Giving these things up earns us nothing with God, but it does put us in a better position to receive. Um, I like Blue Engel's quote there. We're giving up the inferior pleasures of this world for superior pleasures of God. And that is the truth. Um, so that... Yeah. Ask, just ask the Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that's maybe taking away from my hunger, because ultimately, deep down, when everything's exposed and all our hearts are fully open and all the things we've shut down and stopped are all opened up again, we're desperate to be loved. We're desperate to know Jesus. We are insanely hungry. We have an insatiable, or insatiable hunger inside us to know Him. When all those things that we have filled it with and different things that we've shut down are all exposed and He begins to open up our hearts, deep down, we're all in, incredibly hungry for Jesus. And if He wants to know us, if He wants us to know us, there's nothing, there's no one here that's, that's not hungry. You are hungry, and the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. But don't find the lie that, oh, I guess I, I don't know, I guess I just don't really like that kind of stuff. Um, you are desperate to know Jesus. If we're not, then there's probably reasons that he'll probably reveal to us, and he can uh, bring us through that. Um, 
So I'm just, let's real quick go through um, page three. This is just as far as what, like the contents. We, we want to study his word and we want to read it. We want to talk to him about it. We want to make it part of our daily conversation. The can says that enough. Making it part of our daily conversation with him. Um, and another thing too is we make the word part of our conversation with him. It'll be easier to hear him back because as the word becomes part of our dialect, that's the easiest way the Holy Spirit speaks to us is just by speaking verses back to us that we've probably spoken to him. So that's the that's that's what we do. As far as the content though, studying Jesus this is just some practical stuff. The entire I mean the entire word is filled with the view to Jesus. But let's just go real quick through um yeah, number three. So we study the gospels obviously is where I mean that's that's our that's our view of Jesus. That is where we see Jesus directly. It's the most direct revelation of who God is. It's the most direct revelation of the Father. So um, we study Jesus above all else because He and the Father are one. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. As we study the heart of Jesus, our hearts are transformed. We are captivated by the love that He's shown us. Every story from Jesus' life can lead us into an encounter with who He is. So the, let's read the first verse there. Hebrews 1, 1-3. Um, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. So Jesus is the direct revelation of God. That is, so when we study the Gospels and we see the life of Jesus, a big thing is asking Jesus, what is your heart in this situation, Jesus? What are you feeling here? What are you what are you doing? What are you seeing? What's what's on your heart? What's on your mind in these situations? And beginning to see how he sees, asking him how he sees, beginning to, to encounter life and do life in the same way that he does. So this is the foundation, is just studying the Gospels, talking to Jesus about his life, talking to Jesus about his emotions, um, interceding from him. So, yeah, studying the Gospels, just reading the Gospels and talking to Jesus about his emotions, that will transform your life. I think if you read something like maybe ten chapters a day, you can read through the whole, all four Gospels every week. Yeah. I mean, there's like 89 chapters. Well, if you think if you read through the ten chapters a day, read through the entire <laughs> New Testament, and lots will be like that. That's pretty sweet. That is sweet. Do you do this every day? The Gospels? Scriptures. Oh, yes. When you do? Uh, in the morning. So... Paul's wanting me to talk about timing. So I think morning... (laughs) 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 Yes, Paul. Um, Yeah. Another practical as far as... I think it's a huge thing. I think it's really important. It's just timing. I think... Might not make some friends, but I think morning is the the best time. I think it can be the best time to spend time with Jesus. In the morning, if you get up... uh, yeah, David said early, I will seek you. Abraham got up early to seek Jesus. Jesus got up early in the morning to go spend time with the Father. It just seemed, I mean, in, in the beginning, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It just seems to be kind of a trend that um, it's really beneficial to get up early and spend time with Jesus in the morning. So I think I would make it a suggestion to ask the Holy Spirit, is this something you want me to do? But I'll say it for me, it's been a huge difference. Just making that a priority first thing. Get up early. This time is, is set aside for being with Jesus, and it, it carries out throughout your entire day. That's that's one thing is that it, now you have these things that you you've been talking to. I mean, your heart's already in a dialogue. It's so much easier to carry a dialogue 
throughout the day as opposed to kind of getting out of bed and then we kind of stub our toe and we get in a fight and then we have to backtrack as opposed to getting up, spending time with Jesus <laughs> and just kind of flowing. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is in the mornings, it seems like it's a lot easier to set aside time and actually follow through if you do it in the mornings. Spending time in the evenings, it can be a little more difficult just because it seems like stuff kind of comes up. I mean, if you plan for, I'll spend from 7 to 8 at night, and it's, it seems like it's a lot more likely that something's going to come up. Someone will want to do something, something will happen throughout the day, and your plans will change. Whereas if you get up in the morning, if you, you start work at 8 o'clock and you get up at whatever 6, then that time is, is pretty much always there, and it's just a lot easier to stay consistent. And consistency is a huge thing. Just staying consistency. And staying, or staying consistent, it's... Faithfulness is very, it's highly regarded in the kingdom, and for good reason, because it, it produces change. It produces change. If you're faithful, then change will come. So, I think it's, it, it makes a better start for the day to do it in the morning, and also, um, it's just a lot easier to stay faithful and to continue and follow through. And it's, it's kind of sweet. There's something cool about being up early in the morning with Jesus. It's true. Um, coffee's good. Coffee's encouraged. <laughs> or five-hour energy if you're in my house. See, there is a price to pay for this to happen. For God to soften your heart, you don't just say one prayer once a month and expect it to happen. But if you say, I really do want this, my heart is cold, but I really do want it, and I'm going to put myself in a place where this can begin to happen, that's what Andy did. And I was so encouraged when I heard him teach on this at the retreat because he said he started giving the whole morning to God. The whole morning, from six on. And I was so encouraged that here was a guy that could be doing other things, but he was giving his heart to God so that God could soften it, and God came through. God softened his heart, gave him a love for Jesus so that he's not just studying and having his devotions. Oh, I better have my devotions now. No, he's having a time with Jesus where it's obvious to me now to see him and to see the difference it's made in his life as a as a Christian as a leader as a brother in Christ he's giving time for God to do it in his heart yes if you Jesus will give you the ability like for me it's not hard it's it's I was thinking I was speaking earlier it's harder not to than it is to something like if I get taken away from it it sounds like I'm more angered than if I don't so like, he he's that beautiful it's like you don't feel bad about doing something you enjoy. So he, he'll work in your heart, but yeah, just, I think faithfulness is just a good thing, just staying, sticking with it, continuing even when you feel like nothing's happening, even when you have no emotional experience, you get up in the morning, you, you talk to him, nothing happens. Um, this is good. You don't have to, you don't have to hit home run every, every morning. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's plain boring. That's okay. You don't have to be, oh, I can't do this. I guess I can't do it. Another practical encouragement, too, is they have music. You know, God loves music. It helps sometimes just to have some background music. We're made very spiritual to allow that worship element. Maybe get Paul Hamlet your new CD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I got it. It's great. So, uh, you know, you, kick, you throw that thing on, and then when there's lull times, you can just sit and, and soak and receive that way, too. So it's kind of intermixing the, you know, three or four of those things. Yeah, we have the International House of Prayer web stream on in our, our little prayer room. It's free. It's free, yep. org. There's a link somewhere to get to the prayer room. So that is, that's a free, that's incredible. You have people there that are worshiping Jesus, that are praying, and you can just, you can receive. If you get up and you're kind of out of it, you can just receive until you 
then we can just step into it. So, um, oh, and also, um, this is real quick. As far as another practical, these are things that I think you'll find the to make a big difference. Just finding a place, like a consistent place in the morning. A consistent location where you, I mean, Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives and he, or went to the mountain. Um, so just finding a consistent place where morning after morning you, you go there, you'll find that after a while it becomes conducive to where you go there and it just becomes natural to to encounter him, to, to be with him, and it becomes, it just, it's a lot easier when you go, if you have the same place, then a lot of things become a lot more easier to, to uh, maintain consistency. So there's something about having a place I think it's scriptural. Um, I don't have too much of a background for it, but I think having a consistent place where you get up and you kind of develop a history with with Jesus there, with, with the Father, you kind of it just becomes a place that's yours. And Paul and Karen probably have some kind of place that they enjoy being together. It's just kind of maybe the trails. I mean, it's it's it becomes easier to be with him. It's never hard to be with him. That's not that's a bad way of putting it. But it becomes just more conducive to maybe just I mean it's. You're here. This is, this is what we always do. Um, so a lot of practicals tonight. I would encourage you to do is to, to pick a couple of these out. Let the Holy Spirit awaken a couple in your heart, and just do them. Just begin to be faithful with them. Um, and see the fruit. So let's go on to number four. Do you have the time right now? Um, number four, page start, page three, number Roman numeral number four. The Song of Solomon. Ooh. Oh, I love Paul says. That's right, guys. Guys can like the Song of Solomon. It's allowed. Um, let's, yeah, let's read just point eight. The background. The, though the natural interpretation of the Song of Solomon is a, as a love story between a husband and a wife is a valid interpretation. It's not the only valid interpretation, nor has it been the primary interpretation throughout history. For the past 3,000 years, the primary interpretation of the Song of Solomon has been a spiritual interpretation in which the song portrays spiritual truths regarding the relation, our relationship with Jesus and with the Messiah. So, the Song of Solomon is a book. I mean, it's, it's something I think that the Holy Spirit will begin to waken you, waken in you too when the time comes. I, mean, I wasn't always, I think I was kind of, I was afraid of it most of the time until recently. Or if not afraid, it was just kind of really... I mean, if you read it from the wrong perspective, it can be it can be get weird. Like, am I supposed to apply this to Jesus? This just seems really strange. So I mean, it's it's good to go about it with the Holy Spirit and with someone who maybe even going through a study where someone's actually someone like Mike Pickle has an incredible study. MikePickle.org. You can download all of his stuff. It's like a 24 part series on the Song of Solomon. So it's good to go through it with someone who has studied before, who's encountered Jesus in it, and can lead you. Because they're I mean they're. It could be weird if the devil came to like, oh, you have to relate to Jesus in that way, and you didn't have a, a paradigm for what it meant to for him to kiss us with the kisses of his lips, for example, <laughs> which spiritually means to touch our hearts with the word. So it's good. So these guys can go through there's about four points here as far as just kind of clarifying the Song of Solomon is and can be seen as a, a scriptural allegory relating us. Jesus to us. So, number one, Jesus is Jesus is exalted in the song. He spoke of himself from all the scriptures to the disciples on the Emmaus road. He went through all 39 books of the Old Testament to speak of himself. So that's referring to Luke 24, 27. says he expounded in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I think these first three points I kind of took from Mike, Mike Pickles thing. Um, so basically, 
there we have Jesus, or, uh, the writer of Luke saying that he expounded Luke saying that he expounded in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself, including all the scriptures include the Song of Solomon. So Jesus taught the, the two men on the Emmaus Road from the Song of Solomon about himself. So that's one basic direct confirmation that the, it's biblical to study Jesus in the Song of Solomon. Number two, the Spirit inspired all scripture. Second Timothy, Second Timothy three sixteen, and he exalts Jesus in all that he does. That's just the nature of the Holy Spirit. John sixteen fourteen says, "He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you." So, Mike has a good point. Point three, kind of clarifying that. Basically, the Spirit has a deep friendship with Jesus and a fierce loyalty to fill people with the love for Jesus. They've been together from eternity past. Thus, it's inconceivable for the Spirit to inspire a book in the Bible without Jesus being the predominant theme. So the Holy Spirit wrote the Song of Solomon, it's, it's just inconceivable that there would be anyone apart from Jesus being glorified. Can I say something about that? Yes. Uh, sometimes people will, there are like different things out there, well they'll try to tell you it's a physical relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. in the Song of Solomon, and that's error. Like yeah, that's, you don't go there, Jesus is not your boyfriend. That's very important. <laughs> it's not about a sexual relationship with Christ. Yeah, so, just so you know that, it's about the intimacy at the heart level with the Lord. He's just confirming that there, the relationship that we have to Jesus seeing the Song of Solomon is not physical. And there's some groups that maybe, some more extreme groups that have taken and say that it is physical and try to apply a physical relationship with Jesus or try to create a physical relationship with Jesus and just some, apply some of the, the more physical aspects of the Song of Solomon in an incorrect ways. So we definitely don't do that. We stay completely away from that. Jesus is not our boyfriend. He's our bridegroom, and that's, um, yeah, so just there, I guess to be one of the, maybe there is some stuff out there that would take it too far physically, or say that, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend kind of thing, and take it in the wrong way, which is, yeah, we just, yeah. (laughs) So, and then on to the next page, page four, the final point, um, there. Ultimately, married love is only a reflection of our relationship with the Lord Jesus for all eternity. We put that in Ephesians 5, 22 to 23. So that, I mean, ultimately, marriage, even the, the scene, what's seen in the, the marriage relationship in the Song of Solomon, marriage is, we now know, a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. It's meant to be, in the same way that we are fathers, so we can know the heart of the, the Father, we are in marriage relationships so that we can know Jesus' passions and desires for us. So regardless, it's still marriage is a refle- direct reflection and derived from our relationship with Jesus. So that being established, um, point B, let's read that. That's, yeah, Song of Solomon is really good. Song of Solomon provides a concentrated view of God's emotions toward his people. No other place in scripture are God's emotions so openly displayed. The Song of Solomon allows us to see God's delight in us and our beauty before him, even in our weakness. It allows us to see the beauty that Jesus sees in us, even when our emotions condemn us. There is an awesome storyline in the Song of Solomon that follows our journey as believers from immature yet genuine lovers to mature lovers of Jesus is spoken of in Song of Solomon 8.6. So, the Song of Solomon, I think, is kind of two things. One is it, it reveals Jesus' emotions for us. There is no other place in the Word where we have such a direct revelation of Jesus' heart for us and where he directly says, um, so clearly how he feels about us, how he relates to us in the midst of weakness, the way that he sees us even when we can't see ourselves is beautiful. So there is 
Yeah, there is no other place in the scripture where it's so directly stated, so clearly, so we're able to stand so firmly on this when the enemy comes against us and says, this is how Jesus sees you. There's no other book to where you can take the scripture so clearly and say, no, this is what he says, and uh, basically make this part of your prayer dialogue with Jesus and, and be able to have answers when the enemy comes, when the enemy of our, our souls comes and says that you're unloved, you're unbeautiful, you're, you're too far gone, you're whatever, he's kind of disappointed and angry with you. When you read the Song of Solomon, it, he's, he's ravished with one look of our eye. When you read the Song of Solomon, yeah. <laughs> it, he calls us beautiful, and we always see our weakness. He says there, you are lovely and there's no spot in you. And he calls us beautiful. That is, there's no other book to where you can stand on and say, this is the truth. That's it. It's done. It's over. So then, it's huge. It's it's not taught very much as of yet. I think it will be a lot more. I know it will be. Um, I think it will become a foundation. So there's a couple, just a couple of verses there. Um, let's just do the first one. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So Jesus is saying that. He sees each one of us individually as a lily, a lily among thorns. He sees us each individually um, as standing out to him, as being beautiful to him among, no matter where we are. So that, I mean, that's incredible. Just to know that Jesus sees us and sees each one of us as a lily among thorns. He sees us as beautiful because of who we are, not because of our incredible devotion, but because of who we are and who's made us. So there's another one there. Um, you guys can read that too. But let's uh, let's skip number five because we'll come back to that. Yeah, I feel like we're going to be some ministry time in that area. We'll come back and do ministry time on that one. So then, um, the last place, not the last place, but another place we see Jesus' heart, we get the full picture of, of his heart, what, it, what, what who he really is and who he fully is. is in uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the restoration of all things, studying Jesus' um, desires and plans and um, for the restoration of all things, for his return to earth, for uh, his purging the earth of wickedness. Yeah. So it's, as we study, I mean, uh, it's incredible how much the word is spelled, but even the Old Testament is filled with just Jesus' heart and his plan to bring the restoration of all things, to return to the earth, to purge wickedness, to establish his kingdom, um, which will endure forever. And in this we see that not only does Jesus love us, but he's actually passionate. We, I mean, there's no accusations that can stand. And when you read Isaiah 63, we, we should actually do that. Let's read Isaiah 63. Use our Bibles. I know we are. <laughs> Isaiah 63. I want to stress before we start too, even that there's not, there aren't two different aspects to Jesus' heart. His heart is one. It's not like he, sometimes he's angry, sometimes he's mad. I mean, God is love. That First John 4 says that God is love. That's, there's no bipolar in Jesus. No, that, that is very true. So the, the, his, his heart is one. It's, his heart desires and it loves us. 
Therefore, we read Isaiah 63. Um, Isaiah 63 says, Who is this who comes from Edom, dyed with, with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger, and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I, I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore my arm, therefore my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury has sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. And then it goes on, and then just to continue that point, that it, there's no there's no uh, division in his heart. Verse 7 goes right on to say, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the, good, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitudes of his loving kindness. So Isaiah 63 we see is a picture of his passion the fact that he is passionate for us. He is a defender. He is you, you can't love and not be passionate, and that's that's true of Jesus. So, yeah, in the restoration of all things, we see his love, and in some cases, displayed in a in a more intense way. But know that this is an important revelation that the Holy Spirit's highlighting in the body of Christ is Jesus Christ the Judge. He's not only the King for a while. He's not only the Savior, but Jesus is the Judge. And actually, in the Book of Revelation. This is one of the declarations that heaven continually makes during the tribulation is righteous and true are your judgments. You're right in what you're doing. You are good. Your love is true. And this is actually a manifestation of your love, that you're removing that which is killing and destroying the people that you love. And so this is a big one that the enemy is putting under. Uh, uh, there's a major assault on the revelation of Jesus Christ as the judge. And somehow he's wrong in doing it. Yeah. And, a, and a humanistic perspective will war against Jesus Christ having the right to judge his creation, which he does. Yeah. And so, just a small point, I mean, this is, he's, he's hitting about six major topics in this one teaching. They're yeah, all are. lengthy in and of themselves. So go on a journey and study yourself. Yeah. Sure. To use a picture that I think helps people get the understanding of God's, of God's burning desire for justice and how that's not separable from his burning love as I think one of the easiest illustrations is to picture um, a 10, 12 year old girl that's been sold into sexual slavery and God executes his judgment and justice on the oppressor, it's actually mercy for the oppressed and the two aren't inseparable and God wouldn't be loving if he didn't come and move in his power and eliminate the enemies of the yeah. kingdom of God. And it's in his love because if he wouldn't, there would be no righteous spared. So I think it's really crucial to understand that God isn't, Jesus isn't just some like pacifist hippie. You know? Like he's, he's, he's here and he's coming to defend those that need defending. Because the good news of the kingdom of God is to the poor and to the oppressed. And if he doesn't come and execute that, he's not just. And his, his righteousness isn't isn't true. So he's coming to do that. And it's totally in love. Right. And I want to be on that side. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>